We're mindful, Lord, that in this last season you have been making new wine. Many of us have experienced crushing, and yet in the crushing there has been the presence of your Spirit, the goodness of your promises, the love of your people, the presence of your kingdom. So we thank you that the words of the song that were sung are indeed happening, and it's all for your glory. So we love you, Lord. We praise you. We trust in you, even though we don't always understand. Your heart is good. Your ways are good. And your kingdom comes. And so we wait and we trust and we open our hearts to you. Would you join me, please, in praying the prayer that Jesus taught his brothers and sisters and friends? If you don't know those words, they'll be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Would you open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2? We're going to continue our series on exile, and we're going to have some very specific places of application today. Today's Worldwide Communion Sunday. It's one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Thanksgiving's number one. This might be number two, and the reason is because on one Sunday throughout the world, in Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestant traditions, the whole Christian church celebrates communion. And what's so beautiful is to think about people from every race, nation, tribe, and tongue together today are celebrating the Lord's Supper. And we're going to do something pretty cool, I think, around the Lord's Supper today. I've asked Jose. Jose and Kareem are wonderful, wonderful members of our family. And Jose and Kareem speak a language, a first language different than ours. And I'd like to ask that at the words of institution, the prayer, you're going to hear those words spoken in Spanish today. Part of the whole family of God. But before we get there, I'd like to invite you to look at me at uh, 1 Peter. One of our, in our teaching team meetings on Monday nights in our home, our team encouraged me to keep reminding us where we're living. So really quickly, a couple things. Listen to this sentence. We are living in, uh, in an isolation in America today that would have not been in the imagination of our grandparents and yet never in the history of the world have we become more accessible. So over the past three decades, technology has delivered to us a world in which we never have to be out of communication for a second. But that has some implications. For example, in 2010, at a cost of $300 million dollars, 800 miles of fiber optic cable was laid between the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and the New York Stock Exchange. 800, $300 million, 800 miles of cable. Why? To shave three milliseconds off the trading of stocks. $300 million, 800 miles for three milliseconds. Yet, within this world of instant and absolute communication, unbounded by limits of time and space, 
Those who study our culture say we have never seen more alienation. Americans are more detached from one another than any time in American history. How about this? Screens. Screens are great gifts, but they profoundly change the human experience and affect us in these ways. Screens push the tyranny of now. Screams frame and filter reality, influencing how we think. Screens weaponize humor by making cynicism, snarky, and bully comments common. Screens overload our choices. Screens fill our times and distract our minds. Screens make people even more image conscious. And screens give people a false sense of interacting and participating when the reality is Americans have never been lonelier than we are right now. Christendom is over. And the things that used to hold us together are no more. The Christian church is now on the margins of culture. And what I've been trying to suggest is it's a great thing. We have opportunities to flourish like the church has not for hundreds of years. Let me take you back now to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse uh, 22. And I'm gonna, I want to do a couple things. So can I have slide six, please? What I'd like you to, here's where I want to end up this morning. I, for before we go to the Lord's table, I would like to just focus on three things. Looking at our passage. We need to be nourished. I'm going to encourage this. How do we flourish we need to make decisions to flourish in exile. I mean, to, uh, to nourish by the living word. How, so I'm going to talk about that for a second. Then I'll talk about abiding together. And I have very specific applications for the first one and second one. And the third one is create a hopeful, holy community who chooses to praise. I'm going to talk about all three of those things. That's where we're going to go. But let me just set us up by reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, through chapter 2, verse 10. So please hear these words from the Lord. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Last week, holiness is reflected by love. For you have been born again, not of perishable sea, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this was the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And now the metaphor changes. As you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, you plural, you all also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For scripture, in Scripture it says, now three passages, the first is Isaiah 28. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
Now to you who believe, this stone, Jesus, is precious. But to those who do not believe, this is now from Psalm 118, the stone, Jesus, the builders rejected, the Jewish people, has become the cornerstone. And from Isaiah 8, a stone that caused people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. People of God, these are the words of God. Now, can I have this, this diagram, please? I want to go back. So what you're going to see in the course of the year, what I'd like to take the passages we're reading, we're studying throughout the year, I want to come back to this over, over and over and over, and I want you to see identity, intimacy, identity, belonging, and purpose. So in this passage, I just want to, all I'm trying to do is reinforce the values right now. So for three minutes, reinforce these four values. This is what we're trying to do together for two years. All our discipleship, all our actions are trying to hit those four targets. Intimacy, identity, belonging, and purpose. Why? Because the Word and Spirit direct us to become a people who look like fruit of the Spirit-bearing folk, who are mindful of the presence of the triune God, and who are growing in generosity. So back to the diagram. All around us, we are flourishing in exile. How? Four values. Intimacy, identity, belonging, and purpose. How? Word and Spirit. For what purpose? Three things that we'll talk about later this year. So let me just give you examples in the passage. So look at verse, verses 1, 2, and 3. Here's intimacy. Chapter 2, 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Where is intimacy in there? I want you to think of a young mom nursing her baby. Watching our daughters-in-law nurse our grandchildren, it is the most precious thing to watch a little child suck, suckle. To be connected to her mommy, to be loved and known, to be looked at, cherished, embraced. What does Peter say to an exiled people? You need to crave Pure spiritual milk. I mean, watch this now. Let me just give you an example. We'll talk about this later on. I want you to think about the World Wide Web. We, you've all heard of the cloud, yes? Do you know that the World Wide Web is not in the sky? The World Wide Web is actually cables across the oceans. And right now, we're having a problem in different parts of the world because sharks are gnawing at the cables. So what happens if the sharks eat through the cables? What happens to the internet capabilities of the world? And in three days, three days, what will happen to the world's economy. If you are being nourished by pure spiritual milk, if something of that magnitude happens, 
You have sustenance because you are connected to the source of life. Yes, your question. Is your intimate relationship with the Lord including these words? You hear the passage from chapter 122? The grass withers and the flowers fail. This morning, fall. This morning, I come in really early and I sit over here where Josiah is sitting. And this morning, I asked the Lord to just remind me in 27 years of all the women and men, the boys and girls, whose funerals I was asked to officiate. And I don't know the number, it's between 300 and 500 funerals. And as I just rehearsed all those names, I remember families and stories and losses. But they're all gone. In not so long, we will all be gone. But these words will still be here. Your intimacy with the Lord, coming from these words, is the place from which you will flourish and thrive. No nourishment, no intimacy. Well, it goes to the next one. Look at identity. Like chapter 2, verse 5. Look at identity. Look how we are to call in chapter 2, verse 5. It text says, But you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're being built into living stones. I enjoy archaeology and I do some, some learning about that. There are stones in the original temple in Jerusalem. So I, th- I think, construction guys, how, how, how far is it from here to, to the top? Is it, is it about 40 feet, some construction person? Is that close, Doug? Okay, 40 feet. There are stones in the Jerusalem temple that were 60 feet tall. So that's 40 feet plus half more. They were 60 feet wide. They were 14 feet deep and 12 feet across. Now get this, none of those stones had any mortar. They were placed perfectly one on top of the other. And they're made of marble so that when you walked up to Jerusalem and saw the temple and the sun shone on it, you were all just dazzled by the beauty and the stones were huge. And what does Peter say to exiled people? But you are being built into a spiritual temple, and each of you is a part of it. You are all living stones. The you is plural. All of us are being built up into a spiritual temple to give praises to God. That's your identity. How about belonging? Verse, verse 9, it says, you are, God's, you are a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you can declare the praises. We belong to God. We are part of a family. And the last thing, the purpose, I just re- referenced it quickly, you're a people to give praise to God. And I want to give credit to Pastor Phil. This came out of Monday night's teaching meeting. And Pastor Phil said, look at, look at the purpose statements that are right found in this chapter. So I want to, back to picture again, I want to keep reinforcing now. This is what we're trying to do together. 
We're trying to become a people who are being flourishing in exile through intimacy, identity, belonging, and purpose. That's what we're working on together. Now let me take you to application for today. Can I have slide number six, please? So here we are, to be nourished by the living word. And I referenced it already. I, 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 I don't, I, so let, let me just, I'm going to be real, real forthcoming. I'm, I'll be 65 in a couple months. I've been a pastor for 39 years. I've read the Bible a bazillion times. I mean, you know, a lot. And as I get older, listen to this, I find it harder and harder to be a person who's committed to the words of God. Because I've read it all the time. I study it 30 hours a week for 39 years. I study, I study, I study. So what do I have to do? I'm reading different translations that are very unfamiliar to me. Because I need to be nourished. I need to be nourished by the living words of God. Let me, let me be your pastor now. The days that are coming are going to require enormous spiritual resources. I can, I'll give you research by Gary Kinneman and Mike Matlock. They're observing what's happening in culture. And I referenced some screen talk to you. If you don't make, listen, listen somebody just, just, can I be an old preacher for just a minute? If you don't make specific decisions for your spiritual formation, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. There has to be the words that endure. There have to be. They, they, so if you hear it, you read it, you watch it, somehow, however God wired you, somehow get these words in. So why is it important? Let me give you an example now. So I'm going to, I need a really big umbrella of mercy here. So I'm going to talk about anxiety and depression. If you are, have a medical condition connected to depression, this does not apply to you. Okay? If you have um, hormonal or physiological things that cause depression, this is not for you. But if you battle anxiety or places where you just get really blue and you can't get out, I'd like to talk to you for three minutes. Here it is. The book is Finding Quiet. I'm talking about Nourished by the Living Word. Dr. J.P. Morgan Moreland was one of Lane's faculty in her master's program. This is a world-famous dude who writes all kinds of books and he's famous all over the place. He has battled anxiety and depression for years. His anxiety can be so great that he could be literally on a couch or a bed for six months at a time, unable to function because of the levels of anxiety. So he sought physical, medical help, received some help, got some help with medicines to stabilize him. But then he said, I've got to find out more because I'd like to be more whole. So what he began to do was develop something that comes out of a whole other school. And this is the book. If you battle anxiety, depression, easy read, consider it. Finding Quiet, J.P. Moreland. This is what he did. Taking research from other people, he does this when he finds anxiety rising. He relabels, he reframes, he refocuses, and he revalues. 
He has trained himself. What does the scripture say? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He has learned a two, two different ways, very simple steps to transform how he thinks. Now listen to the sentence. If you read memory research, listen to the sentence. Most of us live our lives driven by our memories. Our memories control how most of us live most of the time. Things we saw and experienced in the past shape how we live in the present and how we anticipate the future. But you do not have to be held captive by your memories. Brain research says your brains can change. You can think differently. So what he began to do was learn these four simple steps to think differently so that he could live free of so much anxiety. So he could not battle these levels of depression, even though he still is on his medication. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. And one of the keys, let me back you up. So when he wrote this book, which has just came out, he has two forms of cancer. So here's a guy who twice before has been on his bed, on his couch, unable to function because of the anxiety and depression at that level. He now has two forms of cancer. In his family reports, he has never been more positive, more hopeful, more life-giving, more fun to live with. What happened to him? Four steps, and here's the key one. Back of the book. He memorized three or four passages. So when he reframes, revalues, what he, these are the things he says to himself out loud. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give as the world gives. My peace, I give to you. He says that out loud. He says, be still and know that I am God. He says, you, Lord, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The living words of God are helping him to be nourished that he is not being bound by anxiety and depression. Let me ask you a question. Does your anxiety control you? Does your anxiety form you? Does your anxiety hold you captive? The answer is it doesn't have to. The next one, abide in Christ together. You're being constructed into a temple. All of us are living stones coming in to be part of this new thing. We are connected to each other. There is life with and for each other. So you, I, you, it's interesting to me. Again, I'm just being really honest, you know. Let me, let me tell you about my counseling again, real quick. So Elaine and I went to grief counseling. I talked about our counseling last week. One of the things that was interesting to me is after Kirk died, I, I have been so sad. And so one of the things the counselor through a whole variety of ways, inner, uh, prayer, spiritual direction, um, the, the hearing the voice of God, all kinds of stuff. 
He, this is what he said to me. So I'm just talking about me. I'm going to ask you to think about yourself. He said, for 39 years, the word that describes my life as a pastor is sadness. So when people come to see me, when you come to see me, very seldom are we happy. Oftentimes there are challenges or crises or pain or tragedies. So what I learned in counseling is that for 37 and a half years, somehow, I was just bullheaded enough, I held up 37 years of sadness. But when our son died, I got crushed by sadness. Crushed. And one of the things that came out of the counseling was, how have, he asked me, how did I cope? You know how I coped? The living words of God, number one. And you. How many times have you seen me and cried with me? Or just squeezed my arm? Or come by our house and prayed? We have made this journey because of you, the community. We need each other. The living stones. We're not hard rocks, we're stones. We're being built up into something together. And then what's the result of that? We become a joyful, hopeful community. And we're learning to praise. In spite of hard times, we're learning to praise. In spite of great loss, we're learning to praise. Am I speaking the truth? So what I'm seeing among us, I'm seeing this among us. There are a growing number of us who are saying, I got, somehow I need the words. I need to have the living words because I need... So let me give you the word picture. And the hope is, I just want you to see... I want you to see yourself at your mother's breast. When you are reading, living, ingesting, considering the words of Jesus, would you see yourself at your mother's breast? It's safe. You're loved. You're known. And you're being strengthened. Could you see yourself as being part of this body of people who are becoming these living stones, people who are becoming like Jesus. In Scripture it says you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not individuals. The pronoun is plural. We are becoming a temple. What is it? A presence, a place. And what do we do together? We offer community and hope and joy and praise. I want to go back to the second one. I've never done this before, but I, I need to. So I'm going to ask you to another family meeting conversation like Jenny had a couple weeks ago. I don't know if my numbers are exactly right, but I'm pretty sure if I'm accurate when I say from newborns to high school, we have more than a thousand young people. On a typical Sunday morning, I think this is accurate. I could be off, but I think it's pretty close. About 600 children are downstairs. 600. And the staff down there is dying. We need more adults. We have wonderful junior high students who are helping. There's a goodly number of adults. We need more. So I'll be specific. We need 14 adults. 
So I'm up here a lot, <clears throat> but I'm gonna tell Lindsay tomorrow, or Tuesday, whenever, whenever I come back from Indiana, that the days I don't preach, I wanna be in children's ministry. How are we gonna create this community of living stones? The children are so open and pliable and amenable to love. Make an observation for you. You can tell what a church is like by how they treat their children, how they treat the senior saints, and how they treat people with special needs. Next week, Sunday, we're gonna focus on unique brothers and sisters among us. You don't know this, but I'll tell you, part of your weekly giving goes to hire part-time staff. So during the course of ministry, Mondays and Sundays, we hire Central College students who'll be big brothers and big sisters to people with unique disabilities. Why? Because you want everyone to feel welcome here. You want everybody to know someone knows your name. We want every child to feel safe and accepted here. We need 14 people. So I've given you my email address. I'm gonna give you Lindsay's with her permission. She said, give my address, my social security number, my phone number. <laughs> so I'm asking, will 14 people join me from now until the end of April? Lindsay's email address is lindsayp, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-P, at trcpella.com. Would 14 people join me? Love these kids. Well, we have a unique thing today. We get to celebrate the Lord's Supper with people all over the world. So let's transition in prayer and let's go to the table together. Lord, we thank you that on this day, we join women and men and boys and girls from all over this planet. And somehow you invite us to be one people, millions of living stones being built up into something beautiful and unique. So we pray that in these next moments as we join others around your table, that your presence would be uniquely given that somehow in common elements of bread and juice, your presence, your healing presence, your restoring presence, your goodness could be felt, received by many. So we invite you to come in ways only you can, through Christ, amen. Jose, could you come up? Jose and Kareem are people that I have such respect and love for. And I've asked Jose if today, on World Communion Sunday, if he'd be our pastor. And if he would offer prayer and also the words of institution, as together we celebrate with people all over the world. Jose? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Corbett. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In a moment, we will celebrate in the Lord's communion exactly that. My wife, Karen, and I, we come from El Salvador, and we've been living in this beautiful town for close to 10 years. 
and we have been embraced and loved by this congregation, but also by many people in this community, for which we are very thankful to our Lord. As we come from other country, and as I walk in this beautiful uh, town of yours, and now of us also, there are three words that very frequently come to my mind. The first one is that I am a sinner just like you are, but we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ in the cross. The second one is that even though I don't have blue eyes as you do, but God created me according to his image and according to his love, and my blood is the same type of yours. And if there is ever need in, of any type of blood transfusion, my blood, as long as it is the same type of yours, it will work. The, second, the third thing is that in the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we from a different culture, a different part of the world, have through the power of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in us, the same opportunity to love and to yield the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. In a moment, we will conduct or develop the communion, and I would like to share the prayer before communion in English and then in Spanish and develop the rest in Spanish. Gracious God, send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of the Holy Body and Blood of Christ. Accept the gift of our lives that we may live in you and serve your kingdom, being joined together in Christ. May your whole church be one. And at the last day, bring us with all your saints into the joy of your eternal kingdom. Even so, come, Jesus. Amen. Dios misericordioso, envía tu Espíritu Santo sobre nosotros. Te rogamos que el pan que partimos y la copa de bendición sean para nosotros la comunión en tu cuerpo y en la sangre de Jesucristo. Acepta nuestras vidas para vivir en ti y servir en tu reino. Unidos en Cristo, que toda tu iglesia sea una. En el último día, tráenos con todos tus santos para celebrar la alegría en tu reino eterno. Aún así, ven, Señor Jesús. Amén. La primera noche, cuando el Señor, o la misma noche, cuando el Señor Jesucristo fue entregado, tomó pan, y cuando hubo dado las gracias, lo partió. Lo partió y dijo, Tomad, comed, este es mi cuerpo que por vosotros entrego, haced esto en memoria de mí. De la misma manera, después de haber cenado, tomó la copa, y dijo, esta copa es el nuevo pacto en mi sangre. Haced esto cada vez que bebieres de ella 
en memoria de mí. El pan que partimos es la comunión en el cuerpo en Jesucristo. La copa que bendecimos es la comunión en la sangre de Jesucristo. Elders, please come forward.